You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Bleep you, this is, this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing. That 3 and D roll. Oh, it's the T-League. If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be an all-star. Welcome back, everybody. What's going on? It's the Banners broadcast number 16. Bobby Manning here alongside Matthew Chin. Bobby, what's up, man? What's up? So this morning I woke up and there was a nice sheet of snow Across the ground <laughs> up here. Syracuse, New York. It, it's nice and cold back here in Boston, too, but no snow yet. Yeah, I was devastated, so now I'm all bundled up. It it quickly threw me into winter mode, and yeah. I wasn't ready for that last night. I went down to about 20 last night, and I was like, oh, no. I went and to that, school up there, too. I remember those nights. It's uh, It gets real cold. Yeah, it just went from fall to winter in one night, so here I am in my flannel and my hat. You got the good hat, though. You got the right hat on. Yeah, it's so comfortable. I don't even care what's on it. There could be anything on it. At least it's the Patriots, but it is very comfortable. Brady used to wear this all the time. Now I know why. We already wasted a minute talking about the cold. Let's get into the Celtics. They're doing fantastic. Ten games in a row. Bodies dropping everywhere. Al Horford, as you just said to me off the air, has been moved up to questionable. So that's good. Danny Ainge was on the radio talking about his condition probably being a little less severe than last year. And uh, Jason Tatum, a little more scared about him. He's questionable for tonight. Sounds like he could be back soon. The MRI came back negative. Seemed to be a scary injury for him. So I don't know too much about Horford, but let's talk about Tatum. Are you concerned about that ankle? You know, they, it looks like they dodged a bullet getting the negative results back from, from the MRI and all the testing. Anytime someone's pulled from the middle of a game and, the, and they put them in a walking boot, I mean, that's kind of standard procedure nowadays. I think like five years ago, you hear someone's walking out of the gym in a walking boot and you know, panic starts to set in a little bit. But I now, <laughs> it's, yeah, now it's, it's really any sort of time that there's a foot or ankle injury. Um, but it's still early. I think the thing with Tatum and Horford is uh, they're not going to rush or anything like that. Obviously, you want to see this win streak keep going, um, but it's so young uh, in the season and so early on that uh, I'm not too, too worried. I mean, there isn't a lot of information out there, so we don't know a lot. But the fact that he's listed questionable for tonight and not already ruled out, I think is pretty encouraging. 
So he's one of six rookies. This stat was floating around this morning. I brought it up on the pregame show we did with Joe Sway earlier. One of the six rookies to play in these games through the 10-game win streak. No team with a 10-game win streak has ever played that many rookies through that stretch since the first year in the league when everyone was rookies. <laughs> Amazing what they've done with that roster. So I want to talk about Brad Stevens and how much we can attribute this win streak to him because I've seen debates going back and forth on Twitter. You know, is he overrated? Is he oh. is he uh, warranted of the huge hype he's getting? I, of course, think he is, but let's break it down a little bit. Let's have a little conversation about it. He has been phenomenal, I think, but let's just try to identify where he's been phenomenal. What do you think about Stevens has really brought out the best in this team so far? I mean, I think any any sort of argument that he's being overrated at this point is kind of crazy. I mean, objectively, you just look at the the hand that he was dealt, all the new players, only bringing four players back, working in all those new rookies that you talked about, and then having back-to-back games against Cleveland and Milwaukee, two of the powerhouses in the Eastern Conference, obviously having to deal with uh, kind of the emotional trauma of, of the Hayward injury and getting everyone up to speed, uh, working into the system. It seems um, like everyone has really accepted their role. They're really appreciating their role. I think uh, everyone is playing with an, an incredible amount of enthusiasm. And who else are you going to attribute that to other than Brad Stevens? Um, so is it perfect? No. We see stints where you know they're still trying to gel a little bit. Um, but having to deal with so many new faces on the fly, working in Marcus Morris only the last couple of games, um, I don't think you can really say enough about the job that he's done so far early on in the season. Yeah, I think you look at the number of people impacting this winning streak up and down the roster. Roger, the way he's grown from year to year. Marcus Smart, again, getting involved off the bench. And even the engagement of the starters. We've all talked about Irving's defense, and I'm willing to admit at this point I was wrong about him defensively. There's an engagement factor there. Through his first six or so years in the league, he was consistently above 106 defensive rating, and he's coming in with a unworldly 97. If you're below 100, rather, in today's game, you're doing a phenomenal job on that end. And he's a career 109, so he's 12 points below that. That's been a big sticking point for me is just how sensational Irving's been on defense. Yeah, it's really encouraging. And and so much of defense is really about effort. Are you going to fight over those screens? Are you going to chase people off ball, uh, chase opposing players off ball? And I think you're seeing that a lot more with Kyrie Irving than you have in the past with him. I don't know if it's necessarily him being motivated to prove. Uh, people that he can he could be a two-way player or if he's just really fitting into Brad's system um, a little bit more but I think a big testament is that Kyrie's only around 32 33 minutes a game now and that's really helping him to conserve some energy on the defensive end so he can put out more effort I mean, he's leading the team in steals there was a, a point in time where he was leading the league in steals yeah I'm not sure if he's still all the way up there but uh the amount of effort and energy that he that he's providing to get into passing lanes uh, and and to get to loose balls and and get his nose dirty defensively uh, is something that we haven't seen from Kyrie Irving. And just like you, I, I thought before the season, I was very skeptical. Uh, you see Kyrie Irving turn it on defensively in stints. I know the the 2016 final series, he was really really impressive defensively. Um, and it, it's still early. You know, we're only 12 games in, and we'll see uh, if he can put this together for a full season. Um, but early on, you have to be really encouraged from what Kyrie's bringing on the defensive end. 
Yeah, and the number of guys they've been able to rotate in, I'm going to keep harping on that because I think it's so impressive how far Stevens is able to get production down his roster. Abdel Nader's played in seven games. Jabari Bird has been up for a few games impacting. He had one really nice game, I remember. Shane Larkin rotating in deep at that guard position. And, you know, some of those guys have been better than others. Even Yabu Sele's gotten a few stint moments. Even at the bottom of the bench, where the guys have been impactful, Daniel Tice... They're getting so much out of him in his rookie season. Semi Ojale's made big strides, I feel like. He could finish a little better, as we saw in that Lakers mm-hmm. game. But mm-hmm. I think defensively, he's been nice. He's been in good position offensively. And Aaron Baines, <laughs> the way they've been able to work him into things. We heard preseason, I know you were on the show where we talked about Tommy's shower <laughs> comment. <laughs> there was a... Uh, there was a hilarious Banner 18 boogie. They did a re-up version on the Celtics Reddit with Tommy. I saw, I saw that. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, what, what, what do you think allowed Baines to be so effective? Because this has been a bench guy throughout his career, a guy who I think we all talked about coming in as being a little underused in some other situations. But Stevens has been able to pull a lot out of him too. Yeah, it goes back to him just accepting his role. I think Brad has very quickly carved out a role for Aaron Baines where um, he's crashing the glass on both sides, providing that physical presence. Um, he's not an elite, elite rim protector, but his use of verticality near the rim is really impressive. Just having that size and that girth on the back line has been really impressive to me. And um, just finding creases for that mid-range 15-foot straight-on jumper. You know, Baines doesn't do anything that he's incapable of doing. And I think that's something that's up and down the roster you're starting to see. The offensive rebound putbacks, uh, just providing energy, keeping 50-50 balls alive on the rebounding, both on the offensive and defensive end. I think you can see that Baines is really starting to understand as a veteran, one of the older guys on the team, what he's good at and what his strengths are. And he really caters his game to his strengths. And I think Brad has carved out um, a nice little role for him, uh, even though he's not that prototypical stretch five who could really space the floor, like something that we've seen in years past with Horford and Olenek and Amir Johnson. But even though Baines is a little bit more conventional as a five, he's still working into this offense really, really well, swinging the ball, uh, yeah. making a lot of great backdoor passes to cutters. Um, I've been very impressed with um, just the role that he's accepted on this team uh, and how much he appreciates it. Yeah, and one thing I'm noticing with him too, and I said this this morning on the pregame show as well, he's got you know he can't spread the floor necessarily, but he does step outside the paint and hit those yeah. 15, 18 yeah. footers consistently. And guys have to chase him out to that range, and it's kind of weird to think about because we think about shooting, spreading the floor, having to be behind the three point line. But for his sake, I was worried coming into the season that he'd be a guy who would just get stuck in the paint really kill the flow of the offense, and he hasn't done that. Hitting those shots outside of the paint, he's been able to expand his range a little bit out beyond the basket, and that's helped a little bit. It's helped him be able to play big minutes. They've had a tough time getting away from him. I know going into the season, a lot of people were skeptical that he'd be a starter. He really hasn't been. He's played by committee pretty much when guys have missed games. But they've had a tough time taking him off the floor just because he makes it hard for everybody. I think the one guy who hasn't had a hard time with him is Giannis. And, you know, who doesn't have a hard time with Giannis? I think Giannis tried to murder him with that one dunk. (laughs) Yeah, that one did. Baines pretty much had to use everything in his body from head to toe to keep him from getting dunked on on that play. But he managed to do it with the foul there. And using fouls effectively has been another area where I think this team has done well. 
So let's talk about that defense because they haven't just been good on defense. They've been phenomenal on defense. Like extraordinary good for this age where offenses are so powerful. And they've shut down Porzingis, who's scoring 30 points a game to start this year. They played Giannis well. I'm not going to say they shut him down, but they played him well in that second game where they got the win over them. Going against other big guys too, Horford has held opponents to a low shooting percentage around the rim. I heard it was 33% as recently as a few games ago, so I'm not sure what that is at now. It probably hasn't changed too much. But uh, I think he's been great. We talked about the impact Irving has had. I think he's been active getting his hands on the ball and getting those steals. Like you said, you'd rather have steals than not. You know, a lot of people talk about how overrated are steals to good defense. If you're getting a lot of steals, you'll take it, and he's done that. So if there's an area you think you've, we've missed when we're talking about this defense, what do you think has been the difference this year? Isaiah's out of the fold. That's certainly a consideration, but... Considering the guys who are here, what do you think has been the key to this great defense? Just the versatility. I think if you look at up and down the roster, just the length that they have along the wing at the combo forward spot, it's a lot different from what they had last year. So if it comes down to getting players in different kinds of switches, having players <laughs> defend multiple positions, being able to defend along the perimeter and in the post, they have more players who are like that. Uh, versus kind of those single-minded defensive players that, um, you know, you see a lot more across the league. I think Danny Ainge has done a good job getting so much versatility in interchangeable lineups where Brad Stevens seems like he's experimenting with different lineups every single night, yeah. yet the defensive rating and the defensive efficiency stays exactly the same. Um, and I think uh, the key to that has been Horford, just toggling between the four and five spot um, in today's NBA the power forward or the stretch four or the four or however you want to describe it, I think is the most versatile spot um, in terms of skill sets uh, in the NBA. So you need someone who can match up with that kind of versatility. Horford has been incredible defensively. Uh, like you said, matching up against Giannis at times, matching up um, against Aaron Gordon, um, against LaMarcus Aldridge, just like a huge range of different kinds of players. Paul George for short stints, yep. just a massive variety of players. Uh, and Horford has been really great um, holding up both along the perimeter and uh, on the back line, communicating switches. I think, you know, if he doesn't play tonight, like you said, we've been, he's been upgraded to questionable. They're really going to miss his defensive play calling. I think along the back line, he communicates switches well. And even if, even though Kyrie Irving is the best player on the team, I think offensively and defensively, Horford really is the engine that makes this team go. Yeah, and DePrisco wrote a little write-up about the commentary on Stevens after that Lakers win. And you talk about experimenting lineups. Down the stretch of that game when Irving was on the bench and Tatum was in the locker room, they had Larkin out there with Roger, Smart, Ojale and Tice, and the Lakers got close. I think they got within one point at one point, mm. and they just never were able to overcome, even with that lineup in there. For the longest period of time, I was like, oh, no. It just did not look like a lineup that was going to be able to hold on the lead. And Morris said afterwards, he puts guys in the right spots in strong areas where they can succeed, and that's what it comes down to. And what continues to impress me about Stevens is how far down on the roster he can go to get production. I feel like that's kind of become the staple of him, is that whether it's Jonas Jarepko last year or Semi Ojale this year, he goes deep on this roster to get production. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Ojale because I hit him in him earlier. He's going to be a key going forward as, this guy, as Tatum, Horford continue to miss games for however long they're out. 
What do you expect from him going into this year, and what are you seeing from him to start this year? Well, I think um, even since the draft, you saw that he has kind of the skill set to be that prolific 3 and D modern role player that they have. And he's uh, does a good job really finding his spots along the three-point line to uh, – you know, where he's most comfortable. I think that left corner spot is a good shot for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to be a fourth or fifth option on offense, uh, he's the beneficiary of a lot of driving kicks so he can get those wide open corner jumpers. And then his defensive versatility, he's an absolute moose, you know, <laughs> really, really strong uh, upper body strength. And uh, his ability to defend both in the post and then move his feet along the three-point line is something that allows him to play multiple positions, both the three and the four spot. Um, But you're right. Now that Horford and maybe Tatum will be out tonight, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, because they they did experiment with Ojale a little bit in the preseason at at the five spot. And uh, I thought... Uh, that was a really, really interesting kind of experiment because, you know, in the right matchups, if it's someone who's kind of a stretch five, a small ball five, I think uh, his versatility and his switchability is something that they can really channel in on. Are there times when, you know, he struggles a little bit and you can see that he's making some rookie mistakes? Absolutely. But you'll find that with any sort of rookie. And I think he's done a good job not allowing the game to come too quickly to him, I yeah. think. All of the rookies in general um, don't really look uh, too wide-eyed out there. They're really allowing the game to come to them and taking it in stride. And he's 39% to start this year outside. I expected that number to be a little bit lower. And like you said, allowing the game to come to them. It's just inside shots for him and three-point shots for him. Nothing in between. Not trying to do too much. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, really, all he has to do is shoot the open three and attack closeouts. So, I mean, if someone overcommits, one dribble and then get to the rim. I mean, I don't think they're really going to ask him to do too much ball handling, too much playmaking. Uh, you know, that might be a little bit more than he can chew uh, his first season here in Boston. Yeah, and they're going to rely on him if Horford and Tatum are both out tonight. But I think a guy that they really have to look toward now to jump up his game even more, and he has to start this year, is Jalen Brown. And it's funny how a second-year guy looks like one of the elders on this team at this point, but he really does. He's in control. He's been hitting his three-point shots for the most part. And I've been impressed with him. Defensively, I think he's left a little bit to be desired. If you look at those charts, he's kind of on the left side of that defense. He's down on the lower end. But uh, offensively, he's been producing. It sort of strikes me as that Avery Bradley thing where he's kind of sacrificed the defense a little bit to give them a little more production on offense. How are you feeling about his second year? Because I think there's so much to be excited about, but there's a lot to be left desired for a guy who I think we all... Agree has star potential, but there's a long way to go in that direction. He, to me, he looks a lot more decisive this year, and I think he looks a lot more confident uh, in his decision-making, his ability to get to the rim. I mean, at times he's still a bit out of control, especially when he's going left. He you know, probably calls on the spin move a little bit too much because those are his go-to moves, spinning both right and left. And defensively, I agree with you. He has left a little bit to be desired, but to his credit, he's drawing the toughest wing matchups every single night and the toughest backcourt matchup every single night. So his ability to get out in transition, uh, use the Euro step to kind of finish above the rim, uh, I've been really impressed with that. His half-court offense, um, still coming along, and I think that's to be expected based on where he finished last year. But 
amongst the players who are returning from last year, I think he's made the biggest strides both on the offense and defensive end. And you're 100% right, Bobby. Uh, now that Tatum and Horford are a little bit banged up, they're going to call on him to uh, have a little bit more leadership skills, to take more control over the offense. And uh, it'll be interesting to see late in tight games if he's the type of person that or type of player that they can look to to go get his own bucket in isolation, um, if they can count on him to create his own shot. I'm not 100% all in on that. But there, there are going to be times when they need him to do that um, because you know, the injuries will come up. You know, with Hayward out for uh, the foreseeable future, I mean, Jalen's the guy on the wing right now. I, I actually, the guy I want to see right now come up, and those are good points on Brown. I'd love to see Jabari Bird for however long these guys are absent come up and get his chance right now. And you probably wouldn't have heard me say that preseason, but there was that one game where he filled in some stint minutes and had a nice, nice performance on both ends of the floor. It was that game against the Sixers. Only scored three points, but came in for a good stint of 14 minutes and played some solid basketball in the wing. And that's what those two-way contracts are going to be all about, I think, in this league, is when you're short on bodies, you hope you can get one of those lower-tier draft guys to come up and give you some boost, especially on that defensive end. So I was a little impressed with him in that game. Did you watch that game? I did watch that game, and Jabari, you know, he might be the best pure three-point shooter that they have on along the wing right now. And you need players who are good in catch-and-shoot situations because uh, they have so much ball dominance right now with Kyrie and Marcus Smart and Al Horford that yeah. you need players that can be productive in an off-ball role. And I think Jabari has the kind of game to excel in, in that kind of role. I totally agree with you. I think now is a great time for them to experiment a little bit with him. Um, you know, as the injuries pile up, uh, there will be more opportunities for those guys toward the end of the bench. Um, and, and in the short stint that we saw in that game in Philly, I was really impressed with Jabari Bird um, as well. So uh, I th- I'm right there with you that he should get a chance for some more minutes in the coming games here. If the national guys listen, are they going to think classic green team talk going down to Jabari well, Bird not, yeah. going to save the team? <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, like any sort of huge uh, momentum shift or anything like that. But short stints, maybe 10 minutes here for a game, 10 minutes for another game. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see what they can do with him. And that's the theme of the show, going down the roster. I, we were trying to find that Brad Stevens effect, and I think that's where you really get to point the finger to with him. The successes of his team have been bent on getting the most out of every guy up and down the roster. Kyrie Irving's been no small part of that. But looking forward, you know, 10 straight wins. They might move to 11 tonight. It's been hard to nitpick, but you got to do it because they are going to face problems at some point. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know when it's going to be. I've been waiting for it. It looked like that Thunder game would be it, but then everyone gets going in the fourth quarter again. There's been a few games, the Spurs game too, Three quarters, I was like, eh, and then the fourth quarter, everyone gets going again, and they close it out strong. Atlanta, uh, I mean, if they had lost in Atlanta, which was close, they needed Kyrie to put the team on his back late in the fourth quarter. I mean, that would have been a tough loss because Atlanta, even though they were coming off the game the night before beating Cleveland, they're not a good team. Yeah, <laughs> simple, simple as that. So that would have been a tough loss. So they've they've had some some close wins, um, but. You know, in a sense, if you look at the silver lining of those sorts of things, they're good. It's a good growing moment for for some of the younger guys to have those close wins and be able to to gut out some performances when uh, you know not everyone is on point shooting the ball. 
So if you had to point toward one problem you fo- you could foresee coming up down the line that they might have to overcome because something I just feel like something's going to come up whether it's the rookie walls these guys hit or the sophomore slump maybe with Brown like there's going to be something they have to overcome I know they're overcoming injuries right now but uh, do you foresee any problems coming up? Yeah, I mean something is going to happen like you said this isn't perfect i i don't think they're going to stay the number one defensive efficiency team for or the 80 and two <laughs> yeah well i mean i yes i don't think they're going to finish 80 and two but to me and, and i wrote about this for celtics blog this past week um their rebounding has been the biggest surprising thing to me this year because going into the season i think you looked at what the roster looked like uh, and you knew that Late in the playoffs last season, they struggled on the boards. Uh, they were handled by Robin Lopez and Marcin Gortat and Tristan Thompson. And really the only pure center that they have on the roster is Aaron Baines. Everyone else is uh, 6'10 and under, and, and Horford you know, will maintain until he's retired that he's a power forward. Um, but they've been great rebounding the ball. I think they're gang rebounding their ability to And that's use been a big life. part of their defensive success as a whole, I'd say. Yeah, their ability to use their length. You know, you see all five guys crashing the glass, and they haven't really sacrificed anything on fast break efficiency. They're they're up than they were uh, compared to last year. So I think something has to give there because you look at the roster and you look at um, you know what the skill sets are for some of those frontline players. I think the rebounding is going to come back to earth uh, at some point. Uh, I don't know when, and I keep saying it's going to happen next game, next game, next game. Uh, And they were out-rebounded two games ago. But other than that, they've essentially dominated teams on the glass, and that has been the most surprising thing to me. I think that at some point will fall back to earth. I think the most surprising thing overall is how good they've been relative to how new the team is. And something I've been thinking about in that sense is that we might have overlooked how big of an advantage it is right now that they're coming in this year with so many rookies, so many new players in new places. And, you know, the opponents at Versing don't really have a lot of film to go off mm-hmm. of, especially earlier in the Good season. Point. And I think they've been able to pull a few fast ones on guys, trying new things. The way Irving has played, as we talked about in the beginning, I'm sure is stunning a lot of opponents. And it's all just so new to everyone around the league how the Celtics team's playing. Last year, it was all Isaiah. It was all that hard pick and roll up at the top. And that's what teams got accustomed to. And now you go in here and it's nothing like that, especially the way Horford has played. Horford has just been on a next level speed this year. Like everything's moving much faster with him. Uh, Just look at that Thunder game down the stretch. You don't remember any games where Horford was just raining shots consecutively down the stretch like that, and even his rebounding. So once this team starts to play teams twice, and we talked about this last week on our postgame show, that's where I'm going to be interested to see. Once teams know what they're made of, the adjustments Mm -hmm. they make, are the Celtics going to be able to make that next (laughs) step so they don't become so predictable? That's what I want to see. Is that, and it's kind of a broad topic overall. There's a lot of things that might become predictable, but I think people have underrated how much of an advantage it can be to be a new look team. Yeah, I think um, if you look at Jalen Brown and some of the rookies, uh, they're going to get different schemes thrown at them. I mean, there's a reason why they're the, they're the third youngest team in the NBA. I think uh, if you're an opposing coach or, uh, and you're managing your defense, you want to be able to throw different looks at the Celtics rookies and some of their younger players. 
Um, and it's to be seen how they're going to be able to adjust on the fly. I mean, Brad can only do so much from the sideline. They're going to have to use their instincts to learn how to get out of double teams, learn how to decipher traps and find the open man if it means you know making a skip pass or something like that. So I agree with you. Now that there's a little bit of film on them and they see, oh, well, Sammy Ojale can knock down that corner three. Yeah. Maybe we do have to respect him out there. Oh, Jason Tatum can take it off the dribble a little bit more. Uh, we do have to respect that. I think you're going to see some teams start uh, to compensate uh, for what you've seen out of the, the success rate from the Celtics. And uh, I'm interested to see whether the rookies and sophomores will adjust on the fly and how they they approach different kinds of defensive looks and different defensive schemes. All right, that's number 16, Matt Chin with us. Good job today. High five. Bobby, it was fun. Yeah, absolutely, man. There you go. So subscribe to us. If you're liking the show, give us a subscribe. Banners broadcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and download the CLNS Media app because that's the easiest way to get everything they got over there. The post-game show, the pre-game show. I was on the pre-game show today with Joe Sway Pavone. Check that out. Hit on a number of points we hit on here. And uh, check out Matt Chin's piece, his most recent piece over at Celtics Blog. Lots of good stuff up over there right now. Uh, there was a good article, too, about Luke Walton talking about Brad Stevens' success because I was just stunned to see... Him being overrated being a topic on the uh, Twitter line, especially as they win 10 straight games to start this year. Well, you're never going to see a coach or a player overrate Brad Stevens. I think he's, he's earned all that respect. So those are the people's and opinions that I care about. All right, let's keep it rolling. Tonight, it's the Hornets. Sunday, it's the Raptors. Some tough teams coming up. And we'll see if they can keep this going all the way the Warriors next week. Looking at far ahead, we got Warriors Celtics next Thursday, so we'll probably talk to you before that game or just after. And we'll be back then. Bobby Manning, Matt Shin, thanks for listening today. Have a good night. And college basketball is back. Excited about that tonight. I'll be over at the Dome tonight enjoying that. So two double barrel basketball action. That's what I'm talking about. Go Orange. <laughs> good night, everybody. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. <laughs>